This is Outcasting Overtime from Media for the Public Good, creator of Public Radio's LGBTQ youth programs. Hi, I'm Karis, an Outcasting youth broadcaster. On this edition, I'll be discussing a very close friend of mine and the toll that his unsupportive environment takes on him and those who genuinely care for him. It was the first day of school, seventh grade, September 2018. I remember being so absolutely petrified sitting on the steps of the school that I threw up into my own hand. Somehow I got in the building and sat down alone. I was in a daze of anxiety, and everything felt sort of blurry. I observed my surroundings, the collared shirts, blue skirts, the knee-high socks, all accompanied by nameless faces conversing around me. I had always greatly struggled with social situations and had no desire to interact with my new peers. At least until a bubbly individual came up to me and started talking with me. At that moment, I knew him as a young, soft girl whose dead name I won't expose for his own safety. Clearly, a young, soft girl isn't who he is now, or who he ever truly was. I won't say his real name either, so we'll call him Darwin. From that day on, we were friends, sat next to each other in every class we could. Days turned to weeks and weeks to months, and we grew inseparable. As we got to know each other better, I began to see signs that Darwin was not who he presented as, and I started to see him decline mentally. When Darwin entered my life, we were both young and in a very toxic educational environment, a private religious school. Both of us had been told throughout our lives at school that associating with the LGBTQ community would only do us harm in life. Outside of school, I could leave the bigotry behind me. I got to return home to an accepting, loving family. Darwin was much less fortunate. His mother worked in education. She was a traditional woman who was very invested in her faith. She never let him out of the house unless it was contributing to his education, and he was not allowed to call anyone under any circumstances. His father was no different, a law enforcement worker who preached against diversity. Darwin never really agreed with them, but he was smart enough to keep his head down. One of the reasons I think he befriended me and our bond grew so quickly was that I was the polar opposite of everything else in his life. The more comfortable he got with me, the more horrendous his descriptions of his life became. He talked in depth about horrendous dialogues with his family, describing a frequent sense of neglect, emotional and physical. I got him to begin acknowledging and trying to treat his problems. It was never that he didn't want the help. He desperately desired treatment for his attentional issues, depression, paranoia, and everything in between. The school didn't provide a counselor, and his parents refused to send him to any therapist or psychiatrist. He had nowhere to turn, so I became his outlet. I didn't mind. I felt good that I might be able to help. Taking care of him and making sure he was okay became part of a routine, something that never left my mind. It was comforting in a way, and it felt like that for a good while. In the spring of 2019, we were 12, and Darwin told me that he liked men and women. It was a big milestone for him, and I was happy that he'd made such a discovery about himself. At first, it was great, and we discussed it often. Some days we would forget how awful life was outside that wooden playground, just talking about our interests under the structure's stairs and singing songs for musicals. When summer rolled around, we talked every day over text. He found some level of acceptance online when we were apart, but he still talked with me about how much he just wanted to escape. Some days when stuff was bad, we would talk about scenarios where life was better and everything was okay. An imaginary place 
in which we had an apartment and a pet pig. It made him happy, genuinely happy. Over vacation, he was constantly pulled away from that hope, and seeing him hurt made me hurt too. His hatred for his environment and resentment towards the people who called themselves his family had only grown stronger. As he got older, he said he thought he could never come out, never live his truth, and it enraged him. Our childish imaginings yielded less and less of an emotional response. He grew increasingly dreary, describing life as monotonous and repetitive, and his motivation to keep living dwindled. Dude, I don't know anymore. I'm just so tired. I don't want to do this. Then the pandemic began. That was really what began an intense spiral. He was trapped at home, trapped with people who emotionally manipulated him, neglected him, and constantly reminded him he was not enough. He often told me I was all he had, that I was all he was living for, and without me, he'd have died a long time ago. He talked about being more comfortable identifying with no specific gender or leaning towards the masculine side. That's when he adopted the new name Darwin. I thought that maybe this would help, but it really didn't. Every waking moment for him was a moment too long on this earth. He was done. There was no out and there was no support. I felt such a weight on my shoulders. I was keeping him here. This person that I cared about. A person I didn't think I could ever live without. And if that someday wasn't enough, I realized there was nothing I could do. That changes a person. I would sit up at night, just staring at my ceiling. Was that the last drawing he'll send me? Was that the last time I'd see a picture of his face? Was that the last sneaky phone call, the last mobile game, the last tearful goodnight? It ate away at me, day in and day out, and I just pushed myself to keep holding him afloat as best I could. It hurt, but I knew he was hurting more. I was torn between feeling as if I was forcing him to be unhappy and feeling that I was saving him. I felt so lost, like I was holding the hand of a long-dead corpse. I guess that's what happens with people you care about. You love until they love themselves. Darwin was fading in and out, but I refused to let go. We had gone to different schools. I made friends, but none like him. We've stayed close, constantly talking. We would do anything for each other, despite the fact that maintaining our friendship and communication had become so much work due to distance and the isolation imposed by his family. More often than not, it felt like us against the world. He's stayed the one constant in my life one of the only things I can trust, even if that trust felt as if it was slipping away. To this day, I still worry about him immensely. His parents have seen him hurt himself and still taken no real actions. He was diagnosed with ADHD at school, and again, his parents refused to acknowledge it, let alone treat it. They stood their ground despite the advice of a medical professional. Darwin claims he's just grown numb to the pain of it all. I know it still destroys him. I've tried to help him be strong and fill the gaps that his parents left behind, but that only gets a person so far. Nothing we can do will probably ever change his parents, and even if we tried, it would only land him on the streets. We're both going into our junior years of high school now. 
I am a fully out lesbian young woman, advocating in my school for my rights with extracurriculars and confronting the system regarding bigotry and inequality. Meanwhile, Darwin is an asexual, transgender young man who is forced into secrecy. He has been failed by the people who are supposed to protect and nurture him. Despite everything, he does what he can to support others. He's funny, kind. It is such a gift to be able to call him my friend. It truly is heartbreaking that someone with such potential, someone so full of life and talent, has to keep his true colors in a box deep in his soul just to survive another day. Despite our two wildly different lives, we stay connected by a messaging app he keeps secret from his mother. We're now making genuine, solid plans for a better life. We're trying to attend the same college and saving up to get an apartment afterwards. He doesn't really want any more education, claiming school just isn't for him, but I always push back. I know that he doesn't see a life past 19, but convincing him to get a degree may help him start to. I've planned my major, and he's decided he'd just go along with it. I just can't wait for him to be happy, really happy. Not my version of happy, not his parents, but a real, true Darwin happy. We both know that the past few years have been rough, and life may not stop being difficult, but at least we can see to the end of this chapter now. He's still just as self-destructive, and I'm still just as paranoid, but we're too close not to survive it. Soon enough we'll be 18, and those shackles that have been holding him back for years can be broken. He wants to leave his family behind and anything or anyone associated with them. Who could argue with that, really? Transphobia, homophobia, suppression. What is it teaching us? It's triggering a habit of bottling up pieces of ourselves just to please the society we exist in. It triggers fear, a disconnect between families. It ruins lives, ends lives. And for what? What could ever make losing your child, your baby, a better thing than being related to someone who identifies differently than their assigned birth, or someone who's interested in someone of the same sex? Why will they only care if he takes a nosedive into a casket? Maybe I don't know how his parents feel, and I don't think either of us ever will. We know what we are told, which isn't very much. What I do know is that this cycle of aggression and suppression is not uncommon, and that it only destroys lives and relationships. I hope that mankind learns better than this abuse. I hope that this suffering won't go on in generations to come. And I truly hope Darwin survives long enough to fulfill the plans we've made. Thanks for listening to Outcasting Overtime from Outcasting Media, creator of Public Radio's LGBTQ youth programs. Outcasting Media is a production of Media for the Public Good, based in New York. Our executive producer is Mark Sophus. Visit us at outcastingmedia.org to get information about outcasting. Make your tax-deductible donation, watch outcasting videos, access our social media links, and listen to outcasting and related content. You can also find outcasting wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Karis. Thanks. And thanks for listening.